Buddy, welcome back to another episode of Pseudo Intellectual Live. We are streaming every Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. on this channel. That's central, by the way. Today we have a great guest. You probably have heard of him. At the very least, if you're not following him, then you really should be. His name is Zuby. He is an author, a rapper, a podcast host, and one of the most interesting follows on X you could possibly find. Zuby, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Lauren. How's it going? I'm great. And uh, I've got to say, every time we've had a few discussions, it's always a good time. And for people who are not yet familiar with you, would you mind giving us a little bit of a rundown of what your background is? Because you have a really interesting story. You have a lot of great commentary on Western culture and American politics, but you also have a lot of international exposure that I, I feel like makes you unique. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so by profession, I'm, as you mentioned, an independent rapper, author, host of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. I also do a lot of public speaking all over the world. Um, I was born in England. My family is originally from Nigeria. Both of my parents are Nigeria, specific from Nigeria, specifically of the Igbo tribe. I grew up in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia. I moved there when I was just a little baby. And all of my earliest memories begin in Saudi Arabia. I went to preschool there. I was there from kindergarten all the way up until fifth grade. And then when I was 11 years old, I went to boarding school in the UK. So from the age of 11 to 20, I did uh, seven years of boarding school and then three years of university. I studied computer science at Oxford University, which is also where I started my music career. Um, at this point, I have traveled to 43 different countries as well. I think I went to 15 countries just last year alone, did a lot of events in different places. So I have a global perspective. I, I mean, I don't even live in any one particular city or country. I travel a lot. I've been traveling a lot my entire life. And then over the past two and a half to three years, it's just been, it's been crazy. I've just been all over the place. So I have the good fortune to be able to see things from a lot of different angles. I, I have a different perspective from someone who, you know, from perhaps the typical Brit or the typical American, there's some overlap, but also just different insights based on my own brain and the way it functions, but also just my life experiences. That's really cool. And actually, I do, I want to talk about Islam with you uh, later on the stream. Do you speak Arabic? Unfortunately not. Um, when I was in Saudi, I went to an international school, it's really an American right. school, and they only taught Arabic to the Arabic students, which at the time, you know, we are, you're a child and you're not really thinking about the importance of languages. N not many young children are going to be like, oh, mom, I want to, I want to learn Arabic if they don't if they're not sort of made to by the curriculum. Right. But it was actually, it's such a shame. It's a massive oversight. I do I do hate to say that I lived in the country for 20 years and, and I barely speak a lick of the language. Um, it's a massive shame. It was a massive oversight on the part of whoever was running that school system. But that's the unfortunate reality. And then also my parents are also bilingual, but they didn't pass down the, the Igbo language to me either. So if my life had been very slightly different, I would have been naturally trilingual. But uh, sadly, English is the only language that I speak. Perfectly. It's, I mean, it's it's hard. I I studied Arabic when I was in university, but I've been graduated for, I mean, it's coming on a, a decade now, and I've barely spoken any Arabic at all since graduating. So that I kind of mm. feel like that was almost lost. It is the same thing. Like I I grew up 
like you going to international schools, but in Asia, um, and my, my dad's Cantonese. And so, you know, I was kind of speaking that when I was younger, but again, you moved to the West, you're not speaking it anymore. And so, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I feel like even if you had learned Arabic as a child, it's very easy to lose. <laughs> so yeah. who's to say whether you would still speak it? Um, but, you know, speaking of the international exposure, let's talk about passport bros. And if you guys watching or listening aren't familiar with what a passport bro is, it's essentially it's kind of like a I would say a derogatory term. It's usually not said with a, a lot of endearment. It's what people are calling these usually Western men who go overseas to find a wife because they're, I mean, basically not happy with the state of modern Western women, whether that be because uh, they're very feminist, very left-leaning, or they're committed to their careers. They don't want families. I mean, the list goes on why, why a person might choose to do this. And they often but not exclusively might go to developing countries. So Latin America or Asia or even Eastern Europe, uh, passport bros. It's, it's what they're called now. It's not necessarily a new phenomenon. Uh, I kind of growing up in Asia, I was, I mean, I'm a mixed, I'm the product of a mixed couple, but my dad is the Asian one. My mom is the Western one. So I don't really fit this, but Growing up, I knew a lot of kids who their fathers were Western and their moms were Asian. And I didn't really think anything of it. But after I kind of commented that I thought the term passport bros and people freaking out about it were kind of ridiculous, I was told actually that these women who marry these passport bros, they're being exploited. This is basically human trafficking. These men are just losers who can't get a wife. And I was kind of like, hang on a second, really? So yeah. what's your take on this? Because you're kind of weighing in on the issue as well when this was blowing up on social media. Yeah, man, there's there's so much I can, I can say on this, Lauren. I think the first thing that's funny is when there is something that has existed for decades or sometimes centuries, and then it gets a label and it suddenly becomes a thing that's talked about on the internet as if it's this brand new phenomenon, right? As if right. like at no time at no time in human history have people from different nationalities or ethnicities, you know, gone gone to other places and a man falls in love with a woman, a woman falls in love with a man, and uh they they have relationships, marriages, children, all of that. There's nothing firstly, there's no, there's nothing new about it. All that's new is the term quote unquote passport bro. There have been guys who have traveled overseas for better options in every aspect of life for thousands of years, certainly for centuries, and in the modern sense, for many decades prior to when I was even born. And of course, with the advent of the internet and social media and low-cost air travel, something like that is going to increase. Now, in terms of it being used, uh, in terms of it being viewed as something that is um, immoral, let alone some type of criminal, it's it's absurd, right? It's absurd and it's also just cope. It's people being dishonest and disingenuous because they don't really want to deal with some of the realities that just exist in the, the world. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, assuming that, you know, we're, we're not talking here, by the way, of people going overseas to, um, you know, engage in illegal activity or to engage in, you know, soliciting prostitutes, let alone minors or some type of human trafficking or anything like that. If you think about it, there are so many, like we, we are both some form of immigrants, right? Our parents or both mm -hmm. of our parents, like we're all 
various types of immigrants. People travel all the time within their country and outside of their country for better economic activities, for better career prospects, for better weather, for lower taxation, for all sorts of things. And I would argue that family formation, marriage, having children, all of that is arguably more important than all of those, or at least some of those. Yes, so the idea, absolutely. It, yeah, I, I, mean, so, I see all the okay, time people moving for jobs, but nowadays right. it's almost like when you talk about the idea of moving for family or the potential for family, the potential for, I think I'm more likely to find a wife here. And people act like you're some sort of predator, which like you're saying, we're not yeah. talking about prostitution, <laughs> traffic, anything like that. We're talking about men who like literally just would like to take a woman on a date. Like that's mm -hmm. it. And people are yeah. mad about it. Yeah, I, I'm a general believer of for most things go where go where you're treated best. Um, Andrew Henderson from Nomad Capitalist, that's pretty much his slogan. But it's something I've believed my entire life, and it's something that I've seen displayed. I mean, my my parents were my parents are both from Nigeria. They have moved multiple times both within Nigeria and outside of Nigeria to create better opportunities for themselves and for their families. My dad was a doctor who was working in Nigeria and sometimes in the UK. And then a big company in Saudi Arabia is like, hey, uh, come move to Saudi Arabia. We've got a job offer for you. You can bring your family. You can bring your wife and your five children. We'll look after you. Um, we're going to pay you a lot of money. We're going to uh, cut your tax rates down to nothing. We'll give you like what, whatever it is. Like you cre they create an offer. And so lo and behold, our family of seven moves out to Saudi Arabia for 20 years because there's a better opportunity. People do this all day, every day. Why do people think that there are people trying to migrate both legally and illegally to the USA, to Canada, to the UK, or so on? It's because they're seeking better opportunities. So I'm a big believer in the idea of go where you're treated best. I think that the way nationalism is viewed by some people or people conflate nationalism with patriotism in some ways to the idea that you know you have to live and die wherever you were born, right? So whatever hometown or state or nation you were born in, you should just stay there and you should never leave. And like leaving is unpatriotic or it's immoral or something. It's all garbage. All this stuff is a massive psyop designed to just keep people stuck where they are and to discourage people from uh, seeking other opportunities. In terms of what we're specifically talking about, people are discouraged from, um, people are being discouraged discouraged largely due to the nature of competitiveness, right? Um, I think that if there is a place that generally treats you better than another place, if I'm living in the UK and I'm from the UK and I have a British passport and then the USA has more opportunities for me and more money for me and better weather for me and better all these other things, then I decide to move to the USA. That doesn't mean that um, I'm abandoning the UK or I hate the UK or I'm not patriotic or whatever it is. Or if over in Dubai and in the UAE, they're like, hey, um, I see you're over there. Um, why don't you come live here and we'll make things great for you? It's like, cool. I think it makes sense to take advantage of those opportunities. So if you are someone, and by the way, this doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman, if there are a woman who was living in some city or some state or some place where she's like, you know, I really want to have I really want to find a good husband and I really want to have a family and I want to find a safe, nice place to raise my family. And she decided to move, perhaps not just solely for that reason, but she wanted to seek another opportunity. I'm like, cool, go for it. 
right? Why be stuck somewhere where that there's no opportunity or where the vibe, the culture, the attitudes doesn't fit you? It doesn't fit your beliefs. It doesn't fit your values. It doesn't fit what you're looking for. I think, you know, go for it. To me, to me, it's all positive. I just think that people have all sorts of like weird copes that they do and very strange projection that they put on other people because, you know, something makes them feel uncomfortable. Or again, they don't, they don't want to deal with the, they don't want to deal with the reality of it. I think sometimes people feel sort of targeted by it, especially when you have, say, guys in America who are like, oh, actually, you know what? I went to, uh, you know, such and such place and I generally found the woman to be kinder and more feminine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they'd make better wives. Like, I think that sort of cuts some people a little bit deep, even though it's not necessarily targeted at, at them as an individual. Of course, there are lots of, there's, there's, there's wonderful people in every country, right? There's, there's no place where you're not going to be able to, you know, where like there's zero people who, um, you would make good wives or who would make good husbands or whatever the case may be. But there are certainly places you can go and positions you can put yourself in where the odds are more stacked in your favor. And I'm not going to begrudge anybody, man or woman, for going where they're treated best. Now, I do want to touch on like the idea of going where you're treated best because I, as someone who used to live in Canada and now lives in Nashville, I, I received a lot of pushback from some Canadians for leaving. Mm -hmm. But there are some super chats I want to get to. Gollum's half-botched circumcision leftover. Hi. How you doing? 199. Uh, JGJ. Unfortunately, my sister said the only way I could find a partner was to be a team player and give a green card to a gal in the homeland. Unfortunately, I'm not necessarily attracted to fellow South Indians because I feel like I would be doing incest with my genetic cousin. A uh, lot of genetic diversity in uh, India. I think you you'd probably be good, you, you know, uh, dating another South Indian. But hey, your preferences are your preferences. Go where your heart takes you. Um, so. I feel like with the whole passport bro situation, there's a lot of, I guess, intra-female competition at play when it comes to the negative mm. reaction. There's a, I found the, the most vocal critics of this phenomenon were women. Uh, largely yep. single women. I didn't see yep. many men complaining about it. I, I, you know, of, of other men doing this, I didn't see many, uh, females who are in relationships or married complaining about it. So I, I do think that there is a sense of, like you said, cope here. Uh, there are women who frankly don't like the idea that men have other options. And I think, you know, it's, it's often said women are kind of like the gatekeepers of sex and or men are the gatekeepers of relationship when men mm -hmm. have other options it does somewhat diminish the stranglehold that I be some some women might feel like they have on men to be making demands saying like oh yeah you can date me but only if it's okay we're in a polycule or whatever it may be nowadays <laughs> uh so so glad to not be in the in the dating world right now but uh yep. regarding going to where you're treated best. I'm, I am familiar with the, it's almost like a jingoism that some people have where it's like, okay, you're here, you're from here. We can talk about how corrupt everyone is, how no one else has the same view as me. But when you start to say, okay, so maybe I should leave, then some people who might've agreed with you up until that point will be like, well, how could you? Don't you want to yeah. fight for, don't you want to improve things? And look, coming from Canada, French Canada specifically, unfortunately, Sometimes we have to face the facts that you are in such a small minority that your views are so counter to everyone else's 
there's not really hope of you changing things. And I, mm-hmm. I hate to say that because it almost sounds defeatist, but at the end of the day, especially so, like if you are a conservative in California, if you are just a sane person in Canada, you have to realize you're essentially, you're paying taxes, you're funding your own oppression. You might say, well, there's good I can do. I, 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 I feel like some of these places, yeah, we are at a point where there is no room for opposition. There is no tangible pushback anymore. Uh, you know, if you're a single guy in L.A. and you want a traditional wife, what are you preserving by staying there? You know, at a certain point, you have to do what is best for your yourself and your future family. And I feel like without that attitude, America as a country would not exist because that's exactly, mm-hmm. I guess, what the, you know, the first pilgrims who came over were looking for a better life for themselves. But uh, like you said, I think there is a form of control, whether it be from single women who are trying to cope uh, people who would rather you just stay so they can tax you and oppress you. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty it's a toxic attitude in some ways because, uh, you know, this whole idea of like, oh, you should stay and be part of the culture and community and improve things. They don't really show that to you oftentimes while you're actually there. It's only when you're trying to leave. Yeah, a- absolutely. I- I've had this multiple times. I mean, I left the UK in 2021 because I was very concerned about where they were going in terms of the pandemic policies and talking about uh, vax, por- vax passports and, uh, you know, all the lockdowns and stuff like that. I would have ended up leaving the UK anyway, because right. I've never wanted to live there long term nor raise a family there in the future. Um, but it sort of forced my hand. And I was just like, you know what, now is the time. I don't know exactly where I'm going to land, but I need to get out of this situation. There's no look, there's no glory on staying on a sinking ship with no plan apart from to go down with the ship, right? There's no there's no inherent heroism and morality, right? If there's multiple boats that you can jump on or other ships that you can be on and you're standing on one and you're like, oh, well, I really like this ship. I'm just going to stay here until it sinks and I freeze and I die. It's like, okay, well, cool story, bro. But, um, you know, I think it would have been wise to just go on one of those other ships and go and live <laughs> your life and enjoy your life. You know, you don't need to be a martyr for your, your passport. I mean, you just like... I think it's good to love your country, but I think the concept of patriotism is often bastardized, and I think it's often just used as a control mechanism um, mm. to create, you know, nice little tax slaves who, no matter how poorly you treat them or whatever the heck you do to them, they're just going to stay there out of some weird sense of loyalty or patriotism to a place that they just happened to be born in. I think that you should be loyal to your family. I think that you should be loyal. Lo- I, I think the idea of being more loyal to like place than people is very weird to me. I'm extremely loyal to my family and my friends and people I care about and loved ones, but I'm not loyal to the point that I'm going to become a martyr for a patch of land, let alone for the patch of land's government. Okay. Right. And- um, I, I don't think that you as a Canadian must be loyal to Justin Trudeau and his administration or to whatever. I don't think I'd, I'd look, no, nobody complains about the American government more than Americans do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think you can separate the nation itself in terms of its geography from its people, from the people who are around you and various communities to whatever it is, right? It's, um, so I, maybe it's just like an old mindset that's kind of drilled into people. And we're now living in a bit of a new paradigm. And a lot of stuff has changed largely due to technology. 
but also in society and culture. But many people are still caught up, you, you know, use that term jingo, jingoism. Many people are still caught up in like a very sort of narrow tribal mindset, which perhaps was necessary for the survival of small bands of tribes hundreds or thousands of years ago. But at this point, it's a bit like, look, um, if you can make your situation better and you've got the option to do that and the pros massively outweigh the cons, then go for it. You're also allowed to change your mind in the future. You, you might leave Canada and be like, hey, cool, I want to go live in a I want to go live in Tennessee for a while and I want to do this. And then there, a time might come in your life where you're like, you know what, actually, like, maybe I'll go back to Canada for a while or maybe I'll go live in Spain or maybe I'll whatever. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. There's, there's, I, I like, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to process because I'm just like, there is nothing right. wrong and with I, that. People do it all the time. And, and if you were doing it for a job, nobody would criticize you or very few people would criticize you. Right. Um, but if it's for some other reasons, even if it's for tax reasons, right? Like I'm, I'm a Dubai resident and I've been quite vocal about, Hey, cool. Like I'm going to go, uh, people are complaining about taxes on my timeline all day long. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go somewhere where I don't have to deal with this crap and where I can right. keep this money and it can go to my future children and to the things that I care about. And then all of a sudden I'm a bad guy because I want to take advantage of that situation, which is open to me. And it's like, well, isn't this the thing you've been spending the past two decades complaining about, bro? So why are you mad at me? Because I'm just doing something about it instead of complaining on the internet all day long about how taxation is theft. I mean, I can say it a million times and they're still going to, you're still, they're still going to keep taxing you. So do you just want to complain or do you want to do something? Actually about it? do take your destiny into your own hands and do something about it. And I feel like this, like almost jingoism we're talking about, it is, unfortunately, I would say more prominent on the right than the left. And it manifests itself in some really interesting ways. I, I remember a while ago, I did a tweet talking about, um, basically how American cities are crime ridden, but it doesn't really need to be like this. Uh, you know, I've, it really frustrates me. I'll often complain about crime in a certain American city and I will have Americans say, well, you know, that's just, that's life in a big city. You know, like kind of, what are you going to do? It's inevitable. It's actually, no, a lot of cities no. worldwide are not like this. Or, it's or, not a problem or, in Hong Kong. Or they'll blame, or they'll blame multiculturalism, not realizing right. that and there's multicultural, multi-ethnic cities where they don't have these problems. Singapore does not have, the, you know, one of the safest places. I, I lived there when I was a teen. I, I never had a problem, you know, walking by myself or anything like that. I would never in a million years uh, do something like that in L.A. or New York. So and it's it's interesting. I did have some American conservatives who follow me say, well, if you don't like it, you don't have to live here. It's like, wait a second. Are you are you now defending the policies of these blue liberal cities just because they are American? It's mm -hmm. it's kind of strange because, you know, another situation you would be on board with me criticizing it and frankly i also get similar pushback from the right when i criticize american foreign policy which is frustrating mm. for me because i feel like we can as right wingers be on the same page government is evil corrupt yada 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 but then for some reason a lot of the same people frankly the administration who's acting so immorally domestically it they now become perfect actors when we're talking about the international sphere it's like really does that does that make sense and i understand the the want to have america's back or to have that loyalty especially when we're talking about other countries but ultimately like you said you can separate a people's uh you know citizens from their government they're not the same thing and i just i you know that that kind of distinction frustrates me because i've been called a traitor unpatriotic just because you know i don't approve of xyz foreign policy thing it's like ultimately we're still talking about joe biden you guys realize mm -hmm. that like i'm not like this this is still joe biden who's doing all of these things i can 
disagree with him foreign policy and domestic policy. Yeah, I, I think that there is a natural knee-jerk reaction for people to defend their uh, homeland or mm -hmm. nation when it is criticized by an outsider. So they can right. criticize it all day long, right? We all follow lots of uh, accounts across the spectrum. And all day long, all they do is criticize the their politicians and their administration and the government and like all all day long like it's like sometimes i have to mute people because i'm just like all they're doing is talking crap about america and then right. if i as a brit or you as a canadian makes a statement of like oh actually like i went to san francisco or i was in this place sometimes if you're specific about the place you know if you're like specifically talking about san francisco you don't get as much pushback at least from you know the right but if you're just like hey in america this thing is a problem it could be about food it could be about obesity it could be about the way some of the systems are set up it could be about foreign policy it could be the homelessness it could be the drugs what are the things that could be education system um people get very people, people get very very defensive even though they themselves often have the exact same criticisms and so i think that's how it goes you know like uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, I, I think it's something people just naturally do. So if, um, <laughs> if, if an American like talks crap about British food, you're going to get like all these British people who are like, getting all you? Mad and you know, yeah, like how dare you? <laughs> and then, you know, you'll go on their accounts and they're cussing out British food and you're just like, yeah, mm, yeah I don't, I think it's the outside criticism thing, you know, like, uh, people can make fun of their, their own friends and their own siblings and whatever. But, but then no, they'll, you know, they're, they're, yeah, exactly. But if someone yeah. else does, then, you know, they're, and they're we have a, this message in the chat from Sour Patch Lids, Lydia, our producer, defending U.S. cities is very similar to women taking issue with passport bros. We know things aren't <laughs> great here, but there are stories. Um, yeah, very it. true. Uh, and yeah. actually, you mentioned obesity. Let's talk about that a little bit. You are, uh, you know, you're really big into fitness and I kind of see you as a renaissance man because you have all of these different talents that you're, yeah. Jacksonate. <laughs> Love that. Um, you know, you have all these different areas that you're excelling in. And um, one of them is health. You're actually, you're still the women's heavyweight uh, record holder. Is that correct? Mm, I, I haven't checked. I haven't checked recently. Okay. Um, but there's but a good chance you still that, are. At least you were at one point. Yeah. I mean, the it was the strongest it, it was, woman in the world. It would certainly take an extremely strong woman to to beat my deadlift PB. Um, they'd probably need to have something, something sort of special or different about them. Strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. But obesity is one of those things that's been in the news as well lately, because I don't know if you've seen those TikToks that have been going viral. The fat acceptance movement, it's, it's probably been around at least seven, eight years now that it's been mainstream and we've been talking about it. And we are at a point where there are several very prominent fat acceptance activists, commentators, influencers who have now unfortunately passed away. And death is terrible. I can only imagine how much heartache their families and friends must be going through. But simultaneously, I think we can all acknowledge that there were health consequences to the lifestyles they're living to being 600 pounds. Um, as someone who's traveled a lot, how... How shocking is it sometimes to walk around in the U.S. and see the levels of obesity? Because, again, as someone who grew up in Asia, um, I, I think it's hard for some people to imagine a world where not everyone is obese or where not I think the majority of people are overweight like they are in the States. Yeah, this is also a weird one because it's really a modern problem. I mean, mm -hmm. I think if you were to go back 100 years ago, the obesity rate in the USA was under 5%. So 
it's so strange. I think at now it's 39%. I think it hit 39% in 2023, which was um, a rise from about 35%, I think, in 2019. And so people are just, on average, getting fatter and fatter. And this is not unique to the USA, by the way, um, the obesity epidemic, to use that term. I don't like calling it because it's not like it's some contagious disease. But um, it's it's affecting every country. The obesity rates are rising in pretty much every country in the world, and it's um, it's it's first of all, it's it's a shame, it, it it's sad, and I think that what's crazy about it is just how little it is spoken about. Given given the scale of the problem and what the results of obesity are in terms of health outcomes and life expectancy outcomes and quality of life outcomes, it's crazy that it is not something that is seriously discussed in a way of people trying to find solutions. And I know why that is. It is because of the massive overcorrection of political correctness, mm -hmm. where people feel like, I don't know what it is about obesity itself. Perhaps it's because, perhaps it's, because it's not a habit. It's more of a state. Right. So I think you could probably criticize overeating or you could criticize under exercising or something, but talking about obesity because it's something, because it's a state that somebody is in, it seems unsensitive and unkind and harsh to speak about it in the same way that you could speak about uh, drug use or smoking, smoking mm -hmm. or um, alcohol use, because those things are their habits, right? Their behaviors. And obesity is some, it's a state that's caused by a behavior. So I think people personalize it and get defensive about it in a way that they don't with all these other things. So I don't know, maybe that's a messaging thing. Maybe, um, maybe we should talk more about overeating and we should talk more about under exercising rather than, you know, the, the, the state that results from it. I mean, I, I don't care to be politically correct with these things, but, um, I've made the point, I made the point many years ago that, um, political correctness kills. And right. I meant this in a, and, and people got confused by what I meant when I said that political correctness kills people. And this is quite literally what I'm talking about. When you have people who, by the way, they always target women, and that is interesting. When you have people talking about body positivity and fat acceptance, you can be healthy at any size, no matter how fat you are, how obese you are, you're beautiful. And not only are you beautiful, but you're healthy. Of course, these things are lies, but they're also very dangerous lies because if you get someone who is gullible or foolish enough, to actually believe that these type of fat influences that you're talking about, whether you're talking about them themselves, or you are talking about the women who go and follow them and think that that behavior and that state of being is fine, then you are very directly reducing those people's lifespans and quality of life and ability to find and attract a mate. Um, and I think that that is a very wicked and evil thing to do. That is not that is not positive. That is not healthy. That is not good for people. Um, you know, I just think in the modern West, on pretty much every issue, what's happened in the past ten years in particular is we we've just overcorrected on on everything, right? I I, I agree that it wouldn't be right to um, attack someone or be harsh to them or be uh, insulting towards them because they're fat or they're obese or whatever it is. I I totally agree with that. I don't think that the solution is that you start celebrating obesity and putting gigantic women on magazine covers and normalizing it 
and making all of the mannequins fat and telling people they can be healthy at any stage that that's an overcorrection. Um, we can recognize that, you know, re rewind a hundred years ago and look, look at pretty much any country in the world. And, you know, look at the level of like genuine racism and things like that and bigotry. The, the solution to that is not overcorrecting into, oh, okay. Like, well, they used to be racist to black people. So let's be racist to white people now. Or like, you know, oh, women used to have it a little hard in some ways. So let's become misandrous and let's say that all men are trash and let's put down men and let's, you know, you can elevate one group without um, bashing and demeaning another one. I think many people view the world as this sort of zero sum game. And maybe this is the type of thinking that explains a lot of the different topics <laughs> we've been talking about, right? right. If, you view, if, if you view the world as this competitive zero sum game where it's just winners and losers, and because somebody else won, it means that somebody else must lose. There are situations where that is the case, but it's generally not the case in most things in life. So when people think that the pie is so fixed and so finite, I think that's why they react in certain ways when someone achieves something or someone is uh, getting an opportunity or they're putting themselves in a position or they themselves are just doing some type of self-improvement. And it makes other people think, oh, no, like, I don't like that. They're gaining a competitive edge or they're taking away from me somehow. Like, it's, it's a very foolish way of thinking. But I think that it's um it's it's all too common. And I think that that's what's happened in all of these all of these different sectors and i i do see good signs that i think we're gonna be be swinging back into some sort of sane uh moderation but over the past 10 years in particular we we've been living through some very very odd very odd phenomena mm -hmm. and i think i mean i've been i've been told that you know a lot of the the commentators that i follow i thinking about people like Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, that they're too bold, they're too brash. They really need to, I guess, make themselves a little more palatable to the left or to the progressives or whoever it is, you know, we're talking about. And I, look, I understand, uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear tough messages. Uh, but I, I feel like when, you know, people who speak out about obesity or whatever these issues are, when we're told we need to be nicer, a lot of people are overlooking the fact that conservatives, the right Christians, I mean, we've spent the past maybe 20 years being very nice and we see where things have led to. Like you said, I'm not in favor of bullying fat people. I'm not in favor of bullying any uh, politicians. I, we can bully them, but you know, I, I'm not in favor <laughs> of being cruel, but I think our unwillingness to speak the truth for fear of offending people, that's part of what got us into this situation in the first hand. And I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, there are people who I, I even saw, um, I think it's Yashar Ali. He posted something and he was in agreement with it. Uh, it was a m mother of a Girl Scout or a Girl Scout troops, uh, I guess, administrator. They were wanting some guidelines for people while they were buying cookies from the Girl Scouts. Things like do not ask which cookies are the healthiest. Do not talk about different calorie counts of the cookies or that you don't want any cookies because you're trying to lose weight. And as I understand, as a, as a mother of a young daughter, I don't want my daughter to grow up having all of these different dysmorphia issues and like Instagram disease or anything like that. Of course not. But if we've gotten to a point where we can't even discuss healthiness of cookies mm -hmm. because we're that might trigger some sort of eating disorder like we've gone too far and let's not forget that there is an eating disorder that's killing many many people in the united states and it's not under eating unfortunately it's overeating you yeah. know and it's killing like it's 
it's it's crazy. And anytime I try to bring this up, people always, oh, well, do you, yeah, anorexia, like, is that a good, it's like, no, like yeah. we can actually just encourage people to be healthy, to eat good yeah, foods I, and to exercise. We don't need to, it's not either or. Yeah. I don't know what this, I don't know what to name this, this mental illness that makes people think that if you don't believe the extreme version or support the extreme version on one end, that you must support or be saying the complete opposite. I see it right. all day, every day. <laughs> and I don't know where it comes from as if there's no middle ground between morbid obesity and anorexia. Like, I don't know what makes people say like, oh, I don't think, I don't think this is obesity. I, I, you know, obesity is bad or, you know, these things shouldn't be pushed and promoted. And then it's like, oh, well, you think it should just be like size zero models and anorexics and bulimia. I'm like, bro, like where, show me where I said that, please. Yeah, like, right. it, it, like, it's very frustrating. that I don't... sentence? Very different thing than what I've said. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a weird one. I, I see it all the time. It might be, um, I, I don't know what it is. Like there, there's some sort of psychological things that people do, which I'm, I myself, I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to work out uh, what the source of them are, but, um, coming back to it, what was, what was the, um, original point or, or question there again? Um, oh gosh. Oh yeah. I think it's just the, the unwillingness to speak truth for mm, fear of offending. Yes. And, you know, as someone, I'm an agreeable person. I'm an introvert. I'm Canadian. I don't like upsetting people. That's not what I tried to do. That's not what I set out to do, but I feel like it's almost, you know, impossible to stand for basic truth and reason nowadays without offending people. Yeah, just do it anyway, man. Uh, so, you know, being offended doesn't mean that you're right. And I think people need to kind of get this through your heads, right? I think people think that being offended means that they are correct or they're morally just. And it's like, no, there is a time and a place for offense and for righteous outrage. But it's not, it's never when someone is telling like a basic truth that people need to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, you brought up the way people push back against certain messengers, like, uh, you know, you mentioned Candace Owens, you mentioned Matt Walsh because of the way that they're direct, they can be more blunt and more forceful sometimes in their messaging. I'm a big believer that you need a range of different types of messengers, right? Whatever the, right. Whatever the, whatever the message is, not, there's not one form of communication that resonates with every single individual. There are people out there who are famous and they're prominent and they have big followings. And let's say they're in the um, self-improvement space. We could even say that they're in the fitness space. Um, there's not one person who the way that they communicate and the way they put their message across resonates with everybody. Um, that person doesn't exist. You you have some people who are the more the drill sergeant type, you know, like whether that's a, you know, like a David Goggins, probably the most obvious example, right? Someone who's harsh in their tone and, you know, they're cuss cussing at you and they're calling you weak and, you know, whatever it is, there are people who that is exactly the way they need to hear the message for it to get through to them. There's people who are much more like, uh, you know, super lovey dovey and, you know, affirming and kind and nice and whatever it is. And that does that does nothing for me. That does right. absolutely nothing for me. If I'm if I'm working out or I need to work out, the last thing I need is like some woman whispering in my ear about <laughs> like you know my 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 goddess energy and you know how uh, I, I I don't know you know like like it's just but but I recognize that there are some people who like actually that's the way that's the way that they need to to hear it. So I think there needs to be a, a plurality of types of messenger. I think it's good that that hits because for every person who is put off by that, there might be another 10 who are like, oh, actually, that's the exact way I needed to hear it. You can have you can have 100 people say the same thing and 
there's one person who it lands with for the individual who's listening it, listening to it, right? You, so many people say the same thing, like, let's be honest, Lauren, there's not that much new advice in the world. When it comes to like the general things about human existence that have existed for thousands of years, there's not much new under the sun, mm -hmm. right? Everything that you hear about like um, a conservative or Christian or biblical marriage advice or dating advice or relationships or how you look after, it, it's all going to be some rehash of what's in the Bible, right? Like it's been there for 2000 plus years and it, it, it's just going to be some way of like reframing the argument. All of the fitness advice that matters, all the nutrition advice that really matters day to day, it's 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 been there forever. Um, but people need it reiterated, rehashed, like gone on over and over again in slightly different ways. When I look at uh, lots of the things that I say on podcasts or I say on stages or I say on X or on other social media, sure, sometimes I'll have an idea which is like somewhat novel, which causes people to think differently. But oftentimes it's just like a different way of saying something that you probably already know. And I think the reason the, it resonates with people is because like it's already in their head somewhere and they kind of know that it's true but then they just kind of hear it in like a single sentence or two sentences. And they're like, oh, okay. Like that's a very succinct and concise way for me to understand that thing. And it just lands. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think we need a plurality of messengers. I, I, I don't think it's useful to, I don't think it's useful or effective for people to just like spend all their time criticizing people who they agree with the message, but they think, oh, it wasn't phrased. I wouldn't have used that word. And it's like, dude, who cares? Stop getting yeah. hung up on like, you know what I mean? It's like, it can uh, come be, on. Is this really the tone policing do? can get very tedious. And uh, actually, there's some there's a story that I want to get your opinion on. I don't know if you've seen this, but Charlie Kirk, who uh, obviously had a TPUSA, you guys know Charlie. He's actually mm -hmm. under fire right now for like, obviously, you know, we're we're in the news talking a lot about DEI initiatives with airlines and things like that. Charlie was speaking mm -hmm. about that. On his podcast, he had this to say about it, and he's now being called a racist. Uh, even I've seen some quote unquote right wing accounts saying that, oh, yeah, this is not OK what he said. I, I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. And that's why I think this United story and the DEI story yes. hits so hard because we've all been in the back of a plane when the turbulence hits or when you're flying through a storm and you're like, I'm so glad I saw the guy with the right stuff and the square jaw get into the cockpit before we took off. And I feel better now. Thank you. No, I mean, about like, that. you want to go thought crime? Like, I'm sorry. If I see a black pilot, I'm going to be like, boy, I hope he's qualified. Well, well that's the you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have. You no, wouldn't have done that not, before. That's not an immediate. No, you wouldn't that's have done not that who I am. That's no. not what I believe. It is the reality the left has but created. I, I, I'm, I'm, and that's why I. Okay. So to this, Ed Krasenstein, he's basically saying Charlie Kirk is racist. Is there any other word for this? If that's not racism, what is? Uh, someone was trying to give it context. Like, by the way, he's referring to the DEI thing. Uh, at Crash and says, pilots are qualified, no matter who they are, period. So what do you think? Is Charlie, is Charlie racist here? Is this just tone policing? Do we know what he meant, but we're looking to be outraged? Um, do you know my honest opinion is that they're both being dumb? <laughs> Okay, let's let's talk about that. What I mean is, I think Charlie. I know that Charlie is a, a smart person. I don't like talking about individuals on podcasts, by the way. Um, but I think he knows he could have phrased that better. Um, and I think he also is smart enough to know that he phrased it in a way that's going to get people accusing him of being racist. 
and pushing back against what he said. And I also think that Ed is smart enough to read between the lines and know what he actually meant and not just to jump to, oh yeah, this is absolutely racist given the wider context. So I kind of think they're both pretending to be dumber than they are. Okay, so and we, we don't need to talk about Charlie specifically, but I think his, his statement there is something that a lot of people have said. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that because of DEI, like, and Thomas yeah. Sowell, he talks about this, it, you know, in, in the 80s or the 70s, if you saw someone at Harvard, regardless of their skin color, you knew that they deserved to be there. Um, yep. That's no longer the case in a lot of instances if we're looking at, I mean, all of these different STEM programs that are hoping to reach 50% female participation at the very least when, you know, if we look at a lot of the students who have the most interest or ability for STEM, you know, mm -hmm. they're not female. And I say that as a female who's really okay with knowing that maybe my gender is not perfectly represented in NASA or, you know, wherever it may be. Do you think there is any, like, Regardless of how it may have been phrased, do you think there is anything about, you know, the idea that because of DEI, if if you are not a white male, there might be mm -hmm. questions that people would have whether you actually belong there. I've been called a diversity hire before because <laughs> and it doesn't feel good. That's why that's yeah. one of the reasons why I'm yeah. against affirmative. It doesn't feel good to have someone say, oh, you're only there because you're a woman or because you're not white, regardless of whether it's true. I don't even yes. like the pretense that perhaps it could be true. I, I it's it's belittling, frankly. Mm -hmm. And it, it's yes, I agree with you entirely. And it's one of the many reasons why I'm not a fan of such policies. You know, um, I've been a high achieving person my entire life. I did very well in my in the academic world. You know, I studied at Oxford University. I graduated, you know, computer science, whatever. Um, and before I had ever even heard, you know, the the acronym DEI, you know, I remember going, I remember going to Oxford in man, 2004. And I remember even thinking at the time that like, you know, I would hate for because I was aware of, you know, diversity initiatives and stuff like that. Cause it's, mm -hmm. it's not like a new thing. It's it's existed for decades. And I I've always been like, I just want to succeed in whatever thing that I do just based off of my own merit, right? If I get into Oxford or I don't get in um, or I make the rugby team or I don't, I want it to simply be because I wasn't the best person or I wasn't qualified. Um, I would never want to get in a position and take someone else else's position who deserves it more rightly based on merit because I'm doing, uh, they want me as some box ticking exercise or something like that. So that's what I mean when I say like, I think the fundamental core point that um, was being made in that video, I mean, it's something I've actually talked about for years and it's very true. Um, you don't want people thinking again, whether you're a, a woman, you're an ethnic minority, whatever the case may be, it's not good for my, my, my thing with DEI is it's like, it's not good for anybody. It's mm -hmm. kind of like with, with affirmative action. It's like, it's not just, um, that it's unfair towards people who should be getting positions and they're then being discriminated against because, um, of some of these initiatives, but it's also not good for people who get positions that they don't deserve because number one, they're more likely to fail. But number two, you then create this sort of atmosphere, which is now in people's brains where they don't know, wait, is this really the best person for the job? Or is this some type of diversity hire or initiative or whatever? I don't think you want to even create an environment 
where those thoughts have to run in people's brains subconsciously. I think if you're just like, look, I've said this so many times, the best that you can do as a society and with the law, the best that you can do is provide, is, is just have as close, you know, you're never going to get it perfectly, by the way, right? Get as close as you can to genuine equality of opportunity at the point of application um, and not have biases, whether this is, you know, racial, ethnic, uh, gender, whatever, hold everyone to the same standards and the same, um, you know, the, the same standards of merit and qualifications, and then let, let the chips fall where they fall. That's, that's the best that you can do. And it's kind of funny because this is done in many areas. Um, if you, the most obvious one would be sports, for example, right? In sports, when it comes to like the actual players, the athletes, it doesn't matter if it's swimming, if it's athletics, basketball, football, rugby, whatever it is, everyone's like, yep, let's just go pure merit. Whoever mm -hmm. is, is the best, if they end up being 70% uh, black or they end up being 80% white or they end up being 100% men or it ends up being 90% female, you know, who cares? And everyone is on board with it in that. But then when it comes to certain other areas, certain fields, certain sectors, not all fields and sectors, right? There's no push to have 50% um, sewer workers being female or 50% female representation amongst uh, roofers and construction workers or electricians or crab fishermen or lumberjacks or anything like that. Um, so people are very like, <laughs> I, I don't know what the word is, inconsistent when it even comes to applying this type of thinking. And when you sort of point this out to them, it causes this sort of strange cognitive dissonance where you're just like, okay, well, you're pushing and pushing, pushing it for it in this sector, but what about that sector? And all of a sudden they're quiet and the arguments that they've been applying don't apply anymore. So to me, I just find the whole thing frustrating because obviously the individual is the ultimate minority. And because <laughs> I made this point yesterday, uh, sorry, uh, a couple of days ago on social media where I said, the reason why these diversity initiatives don't do what they're supposed to do is because of human diversity. Right. Right. Be because diversity exists across individuals and groups, you're never going to get perfect quote unquote representation in everything. Right. That's just, that's just how the chips fall. Like it's, it's just how it is. Like sometimes I don't even know what they're solving for. It's like, take, take, take the gender one. Right. Um, Someone will say, oh, um, this field or this area or this position is 80% um, male and 20% female. And we need to fix that. We need to make it 50-50. You know the question no one ever asks, why? It's like, why? What is the problem with it being 80-20 or 20-80? Like, what, what, is the, what is the problem? Like, it's just assumed that because there's a disparity that it needs to be fixed. And I'm like, okay, so what's the problem? Like what, 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 what is, what is going on here? Someone might be like, oh, I don't know. Like, um, Jews are, oh, Jew, there's, there's lots of Jews. There's a higher percentage of Jews than the general population in, um, the world of, in the legal world. And I'm like, okay, cool. Right. If someone was like, I don't know, 70, 72% of the NBA is black and, you know, only, uh, you know, X percent is Hispanic or Jewish. It's like, okay, like whatever, you know, oh, and there's no women there. It's like okay, like what's what's the problem? Like I don't. And I, I feel no, like no, no, no one ever explains that part. It's just like we just need to keep. Well, it's doing because this it's weird stuff. they are inherent assumptions of liberalism 
that are incorrect. And I think the reason why we don't really talk about like, why is diversity inherently good is because it's not necessarily inherently good, but it makes people uncomfortable to talk about, you know, because the, the pushback that people who are in favor of DEI will give to what you just said was like, well, isn't it just inherently better to have 50% of the, the, pilots be female because diversity is our strength. It's like, well, actually, no, no it's not. <laughs> um, it's not a strength. The merit is a strength. Competency, yeah. unity, these are strengths. Diversity, I would say at the very most is kind of, it's a net neutral. It's not necessarily good, mm -hmm. not necessarily bad. It depends on, you know, what, what we're talking about here. But with liberalism, there's this that not only are they pushing the idea of the blank slate, where it's the idea that every group and everyone is equal in all things, and if there's any differences in outcome, it must be because of discrimination. There are people who, honest to goodness, believe that. And you know, I've I've talked about like you know Asians in schooling and how they do better. And I've I've had liberals tell me, without any sense of irony, that the only reason that you know an Asian would do better than a Hispanic kid or a black kid is because of discrimination. It doesn't matter that we can kind of break down how many hours Asians spend studying versus, you know, a, a black American and not to mention the fact that Nigerians tend to overperform even when compared to white people. Like they don't care about that. All the numbers have to be equal because their ideology demands that blank slate. We are all the same. We cannot be different. And it's, uh, you know, obviously if, if there is discrimination as part of the application process, that's a different question. That's something I think we can all agree should be done away with uh, if there's overrepresentation as a result of people saying, oh, you shouldn't, you, you're just not okay for whatever reason. Yeah. But, you know, the idea that if if we were all left to our own devices, we would all be the same, it's it's simply false. And that's that concept, I think, is at the root of a lot of evils nowadays. It's the same mm -hmm. thing with the push toward communism. People look at wealth disparity, and a lot of liberals think the only reason why someone like Elon Musk would have all this money when other people are homeless only because of his systemic advantages, whether that be uh, the fact that he's white, the fact that he's a man, the fact that I think his father may have been uh, wealthy at one point too. They, they cannot accept personal mm. responsibility or individual variation. It, it's triggering to, toward them. Yeah, uh, look, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna just be blunt here is, I think people who are, look, I think some people are, some people are stupid, Lauren. Yes. Um, and one of the biggest problems in the modern West is like you're we're giving stupid people who cannot think beyond like the most basic lines of thinking or you're you're letting them set the policy for everybody else. I'm sorry, but if, if somebody thinks that the only reason that any disparity may exist in anything across human beings is because of unfair discrimination, then you are too dumb or ideologically possessed to be put in any type of position or power let alone set any policies or laws or make any decisions. Like you're, you're genuinely a stupid person because I could explain to an intelligent five or six year old that not every disparity in outcome is based on some type of unfair discrimination. I mean, it's so obvious. I mean, within the same family, if you have siblings, you will recognize that all of the siblings raised under the same household by the same parents under the same set of rules, with the same socioeconomic background, because of this thing called diversity, they make different decisions. They have different interests. They're going to make different amount of money in life. They'll end up in different career paths. There's going to be all of these different differences. I, I'm one of five children. No, no two of five of us have the same job or make the same income or do the same things or have made, like we're all different. Like that is actual 
diversity. This is another thing is when people use the term diversity, they're, again, they're using it in the most superficial way possible, right? Like just, just on like at first, I don't know who decided that diversity just means like race slash ethnicity, gender and sexuality. <laughs> like who picked those three things? Why is it not the case? Hey, we need, um, oh, look at this situation. We don't have anyone who's, oh, oh everyone is, um, five foot 10 or taller. We need to get in some, some shorter people. Oh, look, all these people have brown eyes. We need some more blue eyed people. Oh my gosh. You know what? We've got a lot of blondes, Lauren, let's get some redheads and some brunettes or whatever. Like, and, and to do that, everyone knows that it would be, it would be silly. Cause it would be like, well, what, why are we trying to get people of different eye color, right? Why, why have we got eye color quotas? But then people apply it to other things. And the idea that you can have a room full of people who physically have different amounts of melanin in their skin, yet they all think exactly the same way on everything. The idea that that is a diverse room. And then if you had a room full of, it's just, it's just the most stupid way of looking at, at everything. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite fascinating how much steam it's gained to me when on a, on a very basic level, you, you would, you just have to have a, such a poor understanding of human beings and you have to close your eyes to reality all day, every day. Or again, as I said, just be completely ideologically possessed to believe some of these notions, right? We know that people are different. You're, you're, all this talk of diversity, and then you're just trying to treat people as if they are gray blobs. They're just interchangeable blobs or cogs in a machine. It doesn't matter if they're male, they're female, they're, their background, anything, or their culture. You can just kind of swap them in and out. And that just totally makes sense because everyone's a blank slate. And it's just dumb. I mean, when people deny the concept that I'm, I'm sorry, but by, by the time you're, by the time you are three or four years old, you have noticed that males and females are different. Probably before the age of three, you just can't articulate it. A right. two-year-old child can tell the difference between boys and girls, men and women, mom and dad, auntie and uncle. They can see that there are two different sexes and they look different. Their voices sound different. They move differently. They have different body parts. That can that that's noticed from a very young age. I'm sorry. There, there's no one who has gone through. There's no one who's made it to the age of 16 and hasn't noticed that boys and girls are different and that they behave differently and they have different interests and all of these things. But then suddenly you get into adulthood, and we're just supposed to pretend that men and women are just interchangeable social constructs to the point that you could throw a man into a female sport and there's no, that's totally fine. Or it, it's just so. Well, and that's the thing. I, where I, I don't, it, yeah, I don't it know. It doesn't make sense. You're right. But we're, we're so afraid of offending people. We're, we don't want to be able to just speak the truth lest it uh, upsets someone. Um, do you have some more super chats I want to get to? Savrick says, Aristotle, no man is a slave if better off free. Meaning if a group cannot contribute to society, then they are better off a slave to the state. You can't run your businesses, but here's a stimulus check. Um, our, our good friend Gollum says surrogacy and gold digging same. What are, I mean, we don't have to get into it because I, I do still want to ask you about prenups, but wh what are your brief thoughts on surrogacy? I don't think they're the same. It's the same as gold digging at the very least. No, I, I think that's an odd question. I don't know why they'd be considered the same. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fan of surrogacy at all. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can, I can understand, I can, like many things I can understand why some people would want to pursue it but overall i i look uh, yeah i i have some just very fundamental 
yeah, I have some very fu very fundamental issues with it. I also just don't think it's um, it's it's not a it's not a necessity. I think it's something where the adult inclination and selfishness is superseding what is actually good for children and for human life. In many mm -hmm. cases, I, I see a lot of examples of this. I think in all prior generations, adults would sacrifice for children, but we now live in a strange time where children are expected to sacrifice for adults. And I think this is uh, one of the manifestations of it. I don't think that you are, you are not entitled to children. Um, children are not an inherent human right. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a shame that some people are infertile and cannot conceive naturally and so on, but there's no entitlement that just by being existing as a man or a woman, that you are going to have your own biological offspring. Um, by the way, I think adoption is a fantastic thing. I think adoption should be much cheaper and it should be there. There should be, obviously there need to be some important safeguards, but like there are millions of people out there in the world, millions of children who are seeking homes and adoptions. And once, once you're going and you're renting out women's wombs and you're pulling babies away from their birth mothers and, you know, giving them to essentially strangers, um, even if they do share DNA, it's a, the whole thing's gnarly, man. It's like a very weird, I, I, yeah, that, 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 that's a whole topic, but, um, I'm not a fan. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, it's, it's a hard thing to discuss because there are a lot of families now or an increasing number of families who exist because of surrogacy. And I think two things can be true at once. Those children are a blessing like all children are. And I hope that their families are happy and that they thrive and that they love each other. But simultaneously, the creation of a child with the explicit intent to remove him or her from the mother is cruel. And, yeah. you know, I, I say this, I haven't gone through a pregnancy, having had a newborn. And I, like you said, I understand the desire for a child and a biological child, but it, it is just a, what we used to accept as a fact of life. That is not a possibility for every single person. Um, I think you, yeah. you really hit the nail on the head where we've begun. And I mean, for a while, I think it may be started with the boomers, but we pretty readily, especially now, put the desires, the comfort, the whims of adults over children, uh, while si simultaneously infantilizing adults. Uh, strangely enough, it's a, yeah, it's a tough topic to talk about. Uh, here we go. Comlin, Lauren, do you speak French? Oui, je parle français. Ma mère est française canadienne. So I do speak French. But again, like when you don't practice it, you lose it very quickly. I don't speak a lot of French over in Nashville unless it's my husband and I <laughs> who want to talk about someone in front of them and we don't want them to understand. That's usually what my French is reserved for nowadays. Uh, Savricks, the deconstructionist ideologies creating angry blacks and self-guilty whites through propaganda is but a tool for the really bad guys. Imagine you need a remaining population in bondage to Big Daddy Gov. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different nefarious actors who are driving the racial wedge. Um, you know, I, I think people do it for political power. I think sometimes, like with DEI pushes, there's ESG bucks involved from Vanguard and BlackRock. It's it's unfortunate. There's almost, I don't want to say axis of evil, but something like that. Omega Ratsu. It is collectivism. Carl Benjamin explained this a few years ago on his old channel. If you are not part of my extreme, you are for opposing extreme. Yes, many such cases of that thinking, especially on social media. Uh, Sup, my dude says, not going to lie. I have a passport and went abroad to see a tall, beautiful and thick piece of feminine charm. That Eiffel Tower is 
truly stunning. Yes, very true. Um, now, uh, something I want to talk to you about, and uh, with these conversations, uh, I want to have people on who I think are interesting, but not necessarily that I always agree with, because I think it's more interesting that way. So I was looking through your timeline and trying to think of what tweets I've had that I disagree with you on, because those are always really fun conversations to have. One thing that I saw you talking about a while ago that I didn't agree with you initially, but I think you may have, you've softened my opinion on, and that mm -hmm. is the issue of prenups or prenuptial agreements. You know, we're, we're all pretty familiar with them nowadays because they're in the news a lot when two people get married. And sometimes you can even have a postnuptial agreement after you're already mm -hmm. married. You basically, you draft up a contract uh, agreeing on the division of assets. Um, you know, you're not letting it for the courts to decide, even though I have heard stories of courts essentially overruling prenuptial agreements, uh, if they think they're too unfair or there was coercion involved in signing mm -hmm. them, you, you're very in favor of marriage and family. You know, you're not one of yes, those uh, red pill manosphere types, but you are in favor of prenups. Would you walk us through that a little bit? Because a lot of people who are, you know, Christian, you know, we, we would assume like, oh, it's just essentially setting yourself up for failure, but you see it mm -hmm. a different way. Yeah. And I used to agree with all that. I used to agree with all those arguments um, up until maybe six months ago when I actually decided to do some learning and research mm -hmm. rather than kind of just uh, speaking in memes and talking points of not knowing what I'm really talking about. And most people have heard the term prenup, but very few people actually know what it means. And I was one of those same people who thought, oh, well, you know, there's no reason you to get that unless you're sort of planning for some type of failure. And then I actually did more learning and research and listened to people and I changed my view. It's probably, uh, I mean, is it a big issue? I, I'd say it's uh, certainly an issue that I've, one of the issues I've changed my mind on, uh, done a complete 180 on it, it, pretty much, at least a 170 on um, in recent times. So do, do you want to just like, do you want me to just kind of walk through the way that I, the way that I now see it? Sure. Because I mean, like I said, I think a lot of people who talk about prenups, they're coming from a perspective of like, oh, if divorce. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. my husband especially is very, very, very Catholic in his belief that like, that's not even like, we're not, that's not even, yep. you know, so like if I had okay. wanted a prenup, usually it's, you know, kind of the man who wants the prenup. But like, if I had asked him for a prenup, that would have mm -hmm. in his mind been a big red flag uh, mm -hmm. because it's kind of like are you saying this is a possibility? I guess, okay. what What are your thoughts? Yeah, sure thing, man. Okay, there's there's actually a lot to go here, through here. Um, it's the first time talking about it on a podcast, so it'll it'll definitely be interesting. Um, I think the first thing is to recognize, because I know, you know, obviously most of the pushback came from uh, more traditional leaning conservatives. It came from mm -hmm. fellow Christians. It came from, you know, more conservative people. And I think the first thing, like I said, is first of all, I totally understand that perspective because it's the perspective I had held for up until less than a year ago. Right. Um, and a lot of the things that people were saying are just straight up incorrect. I think that when it comes to marriage and what marriage is supposed to be and what it's supposed to mean, an attitude towards divorce, I would imagine that you and I, Lauren, we are completely on the same page. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is that the law, society, and culture no longer are. Right. Okay. So we both believe that 
a marriage is a covenant made between a man, a woman, um, their families, and God. It is an everlasting covenant. It is two people becoming one and coming together, and it is designed to last forever, and divorce is supposed to be completely off the table. Um, I agree that that is exactly what it's supposed to be. Um, the problem is that legally, legally it's not, and the law doesn't care about your religion, right? The courts don't, the courts, the lawyers, all the, the whole system doesn't, doesn't, doesn't care about religion. Um, and also in the USA or even Canada, UK, whatever, USA is particularly bad. We don't need to go through all the statistics, but the statistics are, the statistics are what they are. And something being an average doesn't mean that it applies to every individual, right? You're not, it's, it's not like right. that. Um, but the truth is we live in a place where legally um, there's no, there's no, there's no fault divorce. A divorce can be initiated for any reason at any time. There doesn't need to be infidelity. There doesn't need to be, um, you know, abandonments. There doesn't need to be physical abuse, mental abuse, anything like that. It can just be, you know, quote unquote, we grew apart or one person got bored or one person wasn't happy or we, we, we see all the frivolous reasons. Like people like to jump to extreme cases of abuse and, you know, um, all these type of things. But the truth is that's not the, that's not the typical situation. And I think in the USA, the average marriage only lasts seven years, unfortunately, seven to mm -hmm. eight years. Like that's the, that's the official average. So in light of all this, I believe that it is wise for people, the couple themselves to create their own rules, whatever they want, whatever they want that to be, by the way. Um, I don't think that it is, uh, to me, it's like, it's actually marriage insurance. I think that you can create a prenuptial agreement between yourself and your spouse or your future spouse or a postnuptial agreement where actually you create it in a way that takes marriage closer back to what it is supposed to be and put, and makes the incentives correct. What are the big problems now? You know, people are like, oh, why are all these young men being put off marriage? Why, why don't all these guys just settle down? M men are not avoiding marriage. Men are, men are avoiding divorce. They're avoiding divorce courts. They're avoiding getting dragged through the mud. There have been far too many dozens and dozens of millions of people. For some people, it's their fathers, their uncles, their friends, people they know who have been dragged through this entire system and they've been pig slaughtered from it. Um, and so I think it's good for people to have a sense of marriage insurance. I would also say that um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go through like a few different points here. I think that uh, the truth is, given that we have laws, um, you probably saw me make this point many times on Twitter, is that every marriage already has a prenuptial agreement. It's just whatever the courts decide. So mm -hmm. whatever, whatever, whatever state, whatever country you live in, there is a default set of marriage laws and a default set of divorce laws. We already talked about no fault divorce, which I assume that we're both against, but it is the law of the land. Um, like that is what the default is. And so in the absence of a prenuptial agreement decided by the, uh, individuals, you are saying, okay, we're going to do this under the law of the land and the state, and we're going to go with everything that that entails. And I think with literally, with quite literally any other contract that you can imagine, it could be a mobile phone contract, it could be buying a house, it could be a rental agreement, it could be uh, purchasing a car or leasing a car or whatever it is, um, you always want the terms to make sense and to be fair and not to create perverse incentives. If, you ha if, if I offer you a, a contract for 
some type of business deal or whatever it is, um, it makes sense. Well, number one, to read it through. Most people never read it through. Um, it makes sense to read it through and to make sure that it's fair and it's reasonable and it makes sense. And a lot of people would say, actually, the way it's currently set up isn't necessarily reasonable and fair. It doesn't make sense. You have things from like, you know, the 1930s or 1940s when, you know, women, women were, didn't work and, you know, met the man was hundred percent, the breadwinner and whatever I'm talking to specifically things like alimony and so on. And it made sense back then. And then you're living in a time where, I mean, in some cities, you know, women are literally out earning men and whatever, and you're still, mm -hmm. pretty, you, you've, got, you've got one foot in feminism and progressivism and the other foot still holding on to this type of, um, traditionalism and more old school chivalry, um, ideas about family and so on. And these things don't mesh well. And so that's why so many men are being put off by it. But let, let me get into what, what I think, um, it actually, what I think that they actually do. And then, uh, we can, we can have a, we can have a, like more of a convo. So I've already mentioned that, uh, there's, there's a default, there's a default nuptial agreement just by getting married, at least getting married under the state. By the way, all of the things I'm saying, this is assuming that people want to get married like officially with the government seal of approval and the state. If people want to just um, elope or just have it with their church or with their family or whatever, then a lot of this stuff doesn't apply. So I'm assuming that this is people who want to, you know, do it with the state. And I would question if that's even necessary, by the way. Um, so I view it as a form of insurance. I think that you can improve the incentives. You, you can just have a very simple agreement, which actually takes away the potential perverse incentives. We all know, look, it, let, let's say, let's take an extreme example, but you don't even need to go that extreme, right? If Elon Musk were to get married, right? Um, <laughs> it, it, there could be a situation where he gets married under the default situation, um, you know, to an unscrupulous woman, or maybe a woman who seemed scrupulous at the time, but wasn't, you know, whatever. And then at some point she decides to divorce him and now, you know, take away half of his assets. Right. I, I don't think I think it would be very hard to make an argument that that is fair. <laughs> like, right. I don't I don't I don't see any world where that where that is remotely fair. And you can also see that it's a very perverse incentive. Everyone has a proclivity towards temptation and towards sin. If you have a situation where you can sin and you can be rewarded for sinning and make, you know, millions or billions from the result of you making a bad decision that's harmful for yourself and relationship and your family and whatever, and you can be rewarded for it. That's messed up. That should not be the case. It didn't used to be the case, um, but it's the case now because of no-fault divorce law. So you can improve the incentives. Um, you can avoid potential future arguments. Um, one of the biggest reasons why couples get in trouble is, you know, discussions about money, right? How is money going to be handled? Is it going to be we're pooling absolutely everything together? Is it going to be yours, mine, and ours, where, you know, most of it is in the ours, but, you know, people have their individual stuff as well. Um, you can decide how that is going to be handled up front. Um, you can also have protection. So look, people come in in different situations. You have people who own businesses and are parts of businesses. You have people who have uh, real estate properties. They've got uh, rentals coming in. This is all prior to them even being married. You've got people who are from wealthy families. They have potential inheritances down the line. You've got people who have got all kinds of debt, car loans, student debt, credit card debt, all those sorts of things. And you can lay out, okay, how is this all going to be handled? Are we going to uh, take on each other's debts? Are we going to like split this? Is it like, cool, everything you had before um, and everything I had before, you, you, I own three properties already and a business and you've got this and this and this. Keep in mind also people are generally getting married later now. We're not just talking about two, two broke 18-year-olds meeting each other. Whatever you decide, all I'm saying is 
you can decide how all that is handled. Instead of like leaving it up to the default situation, you can decide how all of those things are going to be handled. Um, and so for those reasons, I think if you have the option to do that, then why wouldn't you? And I think it's also good that it, it forces these conversations. I know th these are not romantic and fun and sexy conversations, but these are conversations that people should be having. It's not fun talking about debt. It's not fun talking about like uh, money and property <laughs> and inheritances and like it's, it's all all of this stuff is uh, from an idealistic perspective. I'm not I'm not really like a fan of any of these things, right? I think it's just like oh, just you know, fall in love, elope, and you know, run off, and everything great, and God's got you covered. Um, I do agree with the ideal, but I just don't think that that is the reality. And the last point I would make on this is I think if people actually want to, um, I think if people genuinely want, you know, like a lot of the traditional conservatives want more men to, you know, they want more men and women to get married and be monogamous and form families and do all of this stuff. But the reason why many men are not doing it or they're delaying it is it's not because they're quote unquote scared to man up or like whatever silly straw man argument people want to put out there. It's because the incentive is not aligning with the male perspective. Um, more and more men are just like, you know what, this is not, this is not a good, this is not a good deal, right? The risk versus reward ratio is not making sense. So actually I think that people are being kind of a little bit boneheaded and short-sighted by being against something as simple as a prenuptial agreement, which can give people additional assurance that, okay, everything is overboard. Um, maybe someone is coming into a situation with a lot of wealth and they're like, okay, you know, I, I don't want to, um, you know, I love this person. I, lo I love you. I trust you. Like we're, we're going to, we're going to do all this, but I, you know, I, I'm not really comfortable with X. So like, why, why don't we just make a little adjustment for this so that everything is on the same page and we've we've just got that additional assurance um look like, like i said if you take someone as extreme as elon like I, I don't think that elon musk could like meet any woman where in the back of his mind at some level he's not going to be concerned that she's with him for his money right like, and he he can't be you know um and so but i think if the woman was like look like let's just have like this agreement whatever then he's like okay cool like that's in fact, the red flag from someone like that's perspective, people need to understand the red flag would be the woman being adamantly against it. Cause it's like, well, why? Like if, if, if that's all not like an issue or something you're pursuing or whatever, and we're not going to get divorced anyway, then why be opposed to why be it? Why be opposed to this thing where it's just like protecting me? Like, let's be honest. Women generally want to get married because marriage gives them some protection and security. Right. Okay. So why should the male part of the equation just be left out? By the way, it doesn't have to be male. There's lo there's lots of women now who are, who are making a lot of money. I mean, um, Britney Spears and her uh, ex-husband, I'm pretty sure they had a, what I would imagine is a pretty ironclad prenup. Um, so, and I understand those perspectives. And that's why I don't, I wouldn't say I disagree, I disagree with you actually. And you're, sure. so I'm someone who from a religious perspective, like you said, we are on the same page there. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's an eternal commitment, but I also hate the government. <laughs> and so sure. that perspective of, well, it's not really whether we want to have an agreement of what would be done if we get divorced, the agreement already exists, but it's not written mm -hmm. by us. And exactly. I think I've Major always point. kind of been of the, and this is not really relevant to my situation. I met my husband when I was 21. We didn't have any money. So we were both broke, you know, it was one of those situations, but 
I think especially if you have generational wealth or a family business, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. could be seen as protection from the other family members as well, because you might be in love with this person, but I think from a family dynamic standpoint, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone else is going to be okay with your choice. But I think the, the, the discussion surrounding prenups is hard because I don't know. Do you know the uh, Reddit forum r slash A-I-T-A, am I the asshole? Yes. Okay. So it's one of my favorite forums. It's basically, if you're not familiar with it, if you're watching this, it's people who are coming to the internet with their personal life problems and asking to be judged on whether they are a jerk or not. So like, I am just mm -hmm. like, Love it, right? Love my my thing. Um, there there are trends. I would say the vast majority of people who have conflicts that they're trying to um, mediate have to mm -hmm. do with marriage, weddings specifically, or mm -hmm. stepchildren. Okay. And, and I don't think that that's you know just some incorrect reddit sampling i think a, a lot of the problems we have in life unfortunately revolve around those things and when it comes to the issue of prenups i feel like money like you said is always a, an issue uh in, if we're looking at marriage uh, on a macro it's one of the top things married people fight about it's one of the top reasons for divorce i don't think it's wrong to have this i like to have that discussion beforehand going in but simultaneously, I feel like, and this is, you know, probably not even necessarily a criticism of prenups, but more just our attitude toward marriage. Yeah. There is this willingness to almost treat marriages transactionally. You know, mm -hmm. I see a lot of people in the red, red pill sphere saying now, well, you know, you were working at home. I earned all this money. What 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 would this wife earn? I mean, I saw people basically slamming Mackenzie Bezos, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife, for taking okay, half yeah. his money. And it's like, well, she's someone who, as others have pointed out, she raised his three kids. She was the sole breadwinner for a, a not inconsiderable amount of time while he was trying mm -hmm. to get this started. She was also one of the first, uh, you know, workers that Amazon ever had. I feel like with prenups, and it's not just with prenups, but with divorce in general and the way that even some people manage their relationships, there is this almost expectation that, you know, I put A in, you must put mm -hmm. A in, we both get B out, which is not how yeah. relationships work. And especially yeah. like I'm someone who is in favor of, you know, if, if someone can stay home with the kids, that's great. How do you mm -hmm. quantify that in terms of a financial contribution? So again, that's not okay. even necessarily to say that these are reasons yeah. why you're wrong, but they're just why yeah, like, I and I think other people Lauren, feel uncomfortable yeah, yeah. with prenups. Yeah, well, well that, that, that's, that's an easy one. My question is, why would you, you've already said you don't trust the government. You don't trust the court systems. Mm -hmm. why, you, so why don't you decide what that is? The couple decides what that is, right. right? You decide. Okay, cool. Like I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna be the. I'm gonna be the breadwinner. Winner. I'm gonna run the business. Whatever it is, I'm happy to bring in. You know, 95 percent, 100 percent of the income. Whatever it is, we plan to. You know, have X number of kids. You stay at home. Whatever. And you know, again, we are we are not planning for this thing to not work out or whatever. But look, this is what we think is fair. Instead of leaving it up to the court system and these like wicked lawyers and like all the horrible like like it's just like again we we're not like if with any with any type of insurance that you have a health insurance car insurance like people have insurance for their mobile phones or whatever like marriage is marriage isn't just the most important decision that someone makes it's also the most important financial decision that someone makes right, right. so why 
again, I'm just like, why not? I, again, I understand from like an emotional and a romance perspective, like, like pe pe people not really like wanting, wanting to do this. But again, my point is just like, if you don't, by default, you are leaving that up to the state. the state and to the courts and so on. So again, if look, if you wanted to get married and be like, you know what, we're not going to get the court and the state and all whatever, like, we're just going to have a religious ceremony. And we're going to come together and we're going to make these promises and this covenant, whatever. And we're going to go do our thing. Cool. God bless. I actually think that that's awesome. Um, Same. But it's, but it's frustrating in our situation go, specifically, yeah. like there's all these like immigration, like legal reasons why the state yeah. is almost holding you like hostage. Like you must enter this in through us. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be able to apply for visas together. You're like all of mm -hmm. like insurance is going to be weird. It really is coercive in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I understand like, like, the, yeah, the let, let, let a lot me, of men have toward it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I think it's like if it was like, OK, cool. I think if the, if I look in summary, I think that for as long as no fault divorces exist, as long as that is the legal standard, then a prenuptial agreement is very wise and the couple can work out what they think is fair and whatever. And Lord willing, absolutely. You're never even going to need you're you're never even going to need the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I if, if 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 people were like genuinely pushing to just abolish no-fault divorce and stop like this goofiness that's going on in the marriage system that's resulting in like freaking 40% or whatever it is of them failing. Um, and we wanted to show, then I'd be in favor of that. But for I, I also find that even a lot of conservatives are really opposed to abolishing no-fault divorce laws, especially, yes. conservative, especially conservative women. Right. And then I'm like, hmm, that's a little like, like that's, that, to me, that's sus. I'm just like, well, Okay, I get that. Like the way the thing is currently set up, it's advantage. It's it's adva advantageous to your sex, and it's whatever. But then you can't be like, oh, why won't? Why are so many men not happy with this situation? Like, listen to some of the people who have been through this stuff, and it's like, good grief! Like this is not um, this is not a fair. You know, people want to talk equity. <laughs> like I'm like, this is this is not a fair and equitable and reasonable and reasonable system. So if you can tweak it to be one whatever again whatever you think is 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 that case then 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 go then i'm like why wouldn't you why wouldn't you do it and by the way you know cuz people also bring up the trust factor right people say oh well you know it means you don't trust the person it means you don't trust the person number one i think it's actually the inverse i think it's like actually an extra assurance of trust again especially if someone is coming in with significant assets or whatever you know if there's a large financial imbalance or something like that like i think it's an additional trust factor but I, I think it's also like, um, you know, I, th I think it's a poor understanding of trust. I mean, if you, you know, I, you, you and your husband, I assume, you know, you, you absolutely trust each other. Okay. But let's say that uh, you both got into a car and let's even say that there is no traffic on the road. Let's just say that you're driving. Let, let's say your husband is driving a car. Let's say like there's no traffic or whatever. Um, and you're driving. I still think it would be wise for both of you to put a seatbelt on. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, it doesn't mean like, oh, you think he's going to crash or like he can't drive or whatever. It's just like, well, why not? Like, it's just an extra bit of reassurance that you can have there, right? Because like, we're not <laughs> human being, human beings are not, are not perfect and things don't go perfectly. And at this point we have like billions of data points with like numbers and percentages and statistics and whatever, just to show how imperfect this, this whole thing is. Um, so to me, I don't know, like to, to me, there's just no, besides, besides feelings and feelings are important. There's no, there's no downside 
It's just like, it's all potential upside. And again, it also makes those, it makes those conversations and agreements even happen upfront. I think so many things are not discussed because people don't want to like broach certain topics or have certain, because it's not comfortable. It can feel like a, 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 yeah. And that's something that I'm like, again, I, I love that forum R slash A I T A. I feel like there are a shocking number of people out there who are getting married, who don't have conversations about kids, whether you want to have kids who don't have conversations around how you're going to find like handle finances, who don't have conversations around, um, you know, all of these different things that I would have think I would have thought would be probably even after dating for a while, never even marriage, you would discuss with your partner. Uh, but it, it, it seems like some people maybe do need to actually sit down with a lawyer and be like, okay, let's discuss these things because yeah. there's a, a shocking number of people out there who are making really bad decisions. And yeah. I think there it's someone like me who's like, I mean, I'm like, I, I, my husband and I have been together. It's going to be going on eight years now. And okay. I, look at the decisions other people are making. I'm like, how, like, it's just, it's so out of the realm of what is rational to me or like what <laughs> makes sense. But maybe that's what I'm saying. Maybe for some people, like this is what you literally need to do just to ensure that you're not making a bad decision, which is like you said, marriage, one of the most important, if not the most important decision of your life. Mm -hmm. And I, and I also think that, um, I think that the process of this is also important. You know, like I, I can see it from, I can see it from both sides, but as I said, I think when people actually are explain, actually understand like what what this thing is and what it isn't, rather than just like like I hear so many people who are like, oh well, uh, well, what if the woman gives up her career and she has children and everything, and then you know why would she sign a prenup? I'm like, a prenup doesn't mean like okay, you know, in this eventuality, like you get nothing. Like that's that 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 that's not even enforceable legally. Like if people are talking, you know, in the red pill world, you'll hear about prenups being thrown out. And that's typically one of three reasons, right? It's typically because like it was, you know, there was some type of coercion or it was just like presented on the day of the wedding or whatever, right? That's going to be thrown out or that it was so inequitable that it's considered an unconscionable contract, right? Okay, cool. Right. One person is out on the street and the other person leaves with everything. No, that's not going to work out. Um, or that both sides did not have legal representation, right? One side like discussed it all with his lawyer and just slapped it in front of the person or the other. But outside of that, then like it's a legally binding document. And again, you're signing legally binding documents anyway, assuming you're doing this through the certain processes. So again, like with any other, because it's funny, because people also say the one I hear from, um, you know, a lot of fellow Christians is, oh, well, marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And I'm like, I agree with you from a religious perspective, but also at the same time, still, you are going to be signing it, a contract. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but, but it is a contract, right? Like you, you can't, we can't just pretend that it's not right. Like I I'm with you on the idealism. I'm very, right. I'm very much in line with people on the idealism, but I'm just like, that is not the reality. Assuming that you are signing the documents and the contracts and whatever. I'm just like, why not make the terms what you and the person that you love and want to commit your your life to why not just make sure that it is fair and it's all above board and it's equal for other sides let's say for example i, I like you know if if someone was going to marry a woman i think i think it actually sometimes helps when you degender the conversation right but let, let's just say you know there's a there's a man there's a woman there's there's someone out there and they have i don't know they they've got like a business and they they've got all this money in the bank and like they've rate they've uh you know they they've got, they've got properties there's this or this 
Um, and then, you know, they want to marry someone who's just kind of like, you know, normal or maybe even in debt. And they're just like, okay, cool. Like, this is what we, we think is going to work out. And this is what we feel comfortable with and confident in. I'm just like, why, like, what's wrong with that? And there's a, a point you touched on earlier, which I, I haven't mentioned because, um, uh, but you talked about uh, people who already have children. And actually from those situations, it's even more important, obviously right? important. Yeah. It's even, it's even more obviously important, right? Uh, if you're talking like me, even someone like remarrying after like a divorce, right? Or sorry, or even uh, one spouse dying and someone chooses to get remarried and all of the things that they built with that family, they're like, oh, okay, like I've already got three kids and um, I want to kind of put a little ring, I want to put a ring friends fence around those existing assets and savings and, you know, like what, whatever the case may be, properties, whatever, inheritances. Um, so let's just do that and let's agree to that. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, sure, that's fair. That makes, that makes total sense. And that, that can be it. It can be, it can be complicated. It can be very simple. Um, I just think that it makes sense to take that little bit of power out of the hands of the, the, the state and the power and whatever, and just negotiate on good terms what people think is good. And and look, I, and I'll also say final thing is um, I also think that like if all those conversations are had and then it's like, oh, okay, we don't need this. Okay, cool too. But like, why not at least have the conversation, right? Like people are afraid to even bring up bring up bring up the notion and i'll be honest like if, if i met a woman um you know like I, i'm I'm in, a, I'm in a very happy relationship i'm all good but if um you know if i met a woman at this stage of my life and me, me merely mentioning the cons like the the potential of like a prenuptial agreement like if that gets her like angry at me and you like me i'm like to me that's the red flag right, right? So to me i'm like wait like are you with me because of you your really money or like Right. I'm, I'm like, wait, like, why, why would, why, like, like, to me, to me, that's the red flag. It's just like, wait, like, if you like me, and we're, we want to be together, and we have this viewpoint, and we're like, we're, we're going to do this thing together, then why can't we even have that conversation? Right. Like, and I think, I mean, ultimately, if you are pro marriage, you're pro family, you want more people to be getting married, at the very least, we should be addressing some of the things that make men hesitant for marriage. Like I don't, I, I yes. don't see how you can call yourself a conservative or say that you believe in the covenant of marriage, but also support no fault divorce. And people will say, "Oh, so you think beaten wives should stay with their abusers?" No, actually, that's a that's a that's a fault. That's yeah, exactly. That's a that's, <laughs> that's, a, huge that's fault. a fault. <laughs> oh um, that's, yeah. That's a fault. So I, yeah. I I I just feel like like we should address things from a more systemic issue to make things more mm. equitable and fair for everybody. But like I said. You know, I still don't like prenups, but I I understand yeah. I understand your reasoning. And can, I'm, can I can I can I can I ask after everything explained? Sure. What, what is what when you say you don't like it? What do you mean? Is that like a is that like a feeling because thing, or is it like a what? what it's it's because it, I it's it's mostly the idea that we are operating in a world where divorce is so common. That's why it's not that's not mm. necessarily the prenup's fault itself. It's just yeah, a I symptom of our time. That's what's really sad about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if my yeah, husband came and said, hey, I want a postnuptial, uh, obviously I would be hurt because at this point sure. it would be – but at the same time, 
I wouldn't say no because like I have mm -hmm. no plans to leave anybody. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I think you can you can have both of those feelings simultaneously if your partner mm -hmm. wants you to sign one. You could be maybe hurt that they think it's a possibility that you would not only divorce but also I, you know the the underlying assumption there might be that you try to take advantage of them, but you could mm -hmm. still simultaneously do it as a as a symbol of the fact that you are going into this relationship with no ulterior yes. motives. I think you could do it yeah. both ways. Um, so that's yeah, exactly I my, yeah, I, th I think you're totally right. Uh, ju ju just, just, uh, yeah, that, you raise a really interesting point there because as I said, the red flag thing can like easily be flipped in both directions. Mm -hmm. Um, so can that thing, right? So it's some, so a lot of people will be like, wait, isn't that planning for, for, you know, isn't that planning for a divorce or whatever? And it's like, well, if divorce is not an option, then what's the concern about us making a prenuptial agreement? Mm -hmm. Right. Like you, it, it, it goes in both ways. And the other point I'd make just kind of in regards to the sort of more tra traditional conservative and, you know, religious mindset with this is that one place where I think like that whole world is taking a major L is by being so dogmatic and unwilling to engage in these types of topics and conversations, especially as it pertains to men. Like people are there like, oh, why is like the quote unquote red pill gaining influence, right? You hear us here all the time, you know, criticizing red pill, red pill, red pill. And it's like, it's because those are the only guys who actually like will in full raw honesty talk about like these types of issues and problems and concerns and worries that men actually have. Um, the diagnosis is typically, not always, but it's typically quite accurate. Like the prescriptions that certain people will have. I'm like, oh no, like, I don't think that's the best way to deal with the problem or whatever. Right. But it's just, but, but they're having the conversation, right? Cause a lot of, a lot of traditional religious conservatives, they're just like, oh, just, just, just marry the right woman. Just marry the right. It's like, dude, do you, doesn't everyone think that they're marrying the right person? Like, I, I'm assuming that most people are not like going, walking down the aisle and they're like, oh, okay, I don't, this think person's going to screw me over in ways I can't I, even yeah, imagine. I, yeah, exactly. But it's just like, you know, I wish, look, Lauren, I so wish, and I, I think people didn't necessarily, some people didn't get this, like when I was talking about this thing on Twitter slash X is like, I do not want this situation to be the way that it is. Like, I don't like these statistics. <laughs> I don't like these laws. I don't like these numbers. I don't like the cultural attitudes and the way of treating marriage. Like it's just extended dating and, you know, like someone gets bored and they can just lay. I don't like any of that, but this is this is where this is where the world and the culture is right now. In, I, let me not even say the world. It's not the world. This is it's where Western culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like this is where certain Western countries and, and culture are. So given this is the situation, what is the best way to navigate it? Like I'm not the guy saying, like, there's a lot of men out there saying men do not get married. Do not under in any circumstances get married. Like that's a gr gr that's an increasingly popular message. I get criticism. Oh, I get, I get criticism for even like suggesting like that marriage is a good thing because like all they can see is the risk. And I'm less like, okay, I don't think that is the, whilst I understand and I empathize with those concerns and most people don't even do that, right? A lot of trad cons just want to beat men over the head and yell at them for even like saying that. And it's like, well, where do you think that guy is coming from? Like, where's that perspective come from? I, I'm blessed to be in a situation where in my immediate, you know, my parents have been together for 48, 48 years. Um, my, my family is full of long, happy 
marriages, like pretty much like virtually no, no, no divorces, anything like that. There are, there are people growing up who have never seen a marriage work out. Like their parents are divorced. All their friends, parents are divorced. Everyone like from their perspective, they're like, yo, this thing does not, this thing, this thing does not like kind of fundamentally work. And so when you kind of take people from those two different environments, there, there can be this massive disconnect where this person does not understand this person's optimism and this person does not understand this person's pessimism because like what they've seen and experienced is so different. And I think that traditional conservatives can sometimes be very, very poor at that level of empathy of being able to go, okay, actually, all right, my experience has been really different, but actually I, I get what all these, you know, instead they're just like, let's just attack whatever. Right. Know, and I think quote. there's a tendency among traditional conservatives to look at the red pill criticism of marriage and the the inclination is to immediately attack the people who are attacking marriage because we love marriage as an institution yes. instead of realizing that it's not the red pill people who are who are ruining marriage it's that's mm -hmm. been happening for generations the red pill people are simply mm -hmm. pointing it out and like i said yes. or like you said there are suggestions that they will make toward marriage that it's not useful at all that i disagree with but i think instead of attacking red pill criticism of marriage Tradcon should instead be trying to ask ourselves, why is marriage like this? Like, mm -hmm. because for the longest time, it's almost been like Tradcons have been complicit. Like, yeah, they support things like no fault divorce. They're ha they're yeah. happy to go along with it instead of saying like, okay, well, maybe we need to actually go back to our roots and make make marriage itself more inviting, more appealing. Mm -hmm. And really, this I mean, this started with the boomers, the whole like explosion <laughs> in divorce, as many problems yeah. have, but. I think, yeah. you know, trad cons, we also, there's a tendency to just sell a very rosy picture mm -hmm. of marriage, mm -hmm. find someone you love, have kids, it's going to be great. Well, yeah, hopefully it is great. But I think, you know, one of <laughs> our, here we go. Um, da -da 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 -da. Zarenk says, I view romantic love as sand and comparable values as close to bedrock with divorce being so common. Why build marriages on the former versus the latter? Yeah, there are a lot of trad cons and christians who when we talk about marriage we just talk about find someone mm -hmm. you love la, la, la. that's not enough like beatles were wrong like you don't need just love like you need a lot more than that <laughs> unfortunately and you know i i feel like the way we talk about marriage is not uh, conducive to improving it yeah. um in any uh, case uh, I, I do have some super chats i want to get to okay Trevor Pacarina says DEI creates more problems than the solutions it intends. Meritocracy creates the solutions that DEI so desperately seeks. Uh, marriage causes divorce, says marriage is dangerous. Prenups make it safe. Also says yes. cars have seatbelts and airbags to make them safe. Prenups are a seatbelt over 50 years. Most people are divorce material, not marriage material. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Uh, Thunder Rodriguez says, similar subject, feminist groups in Canada are lobbying to ban accusations of parental alienation from family courts would stack the odds against men even more if it were to happen. Uh, we already read this. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, we read that one. I had this little corner. Prenups are like a health insurance. Hopefully it's unnecessary, but good to have when a potential situation hits. Um, all right. So this... I, I would love to hear you guys in the comments what you thought about this conversation specifically uh, involving prenups because this is one of the things where I saw you were getting pushback from your own audience. Um, a mm -hmm. lot of people did still agree with you, but you know, there's it's one of the issues where there's more I think dissenting viewpoints 
uh, within yeah. like our own audiences. So it's interesting. But um, I, I, lo yeah. I loved um, I, I loved Jeremy Boring's comments on it. I was like, I was like, yes, someone on my side. <laughs> I, was like, I, was, I was like, yes, he gets it. And he also understands that it's not a new idea. Like they've existed right. for thousands of years. Like I believe every Orthodox Jewish wedding has one. Right. Um, and they seem to have pretty good, uh, pretty good rates. Right. Um, well, for people who aren't yet following you, but obviously will want to, where's the best place for them to do that? Yep. Um, you can follow me on all social media platforms, X formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, whatever you use. I am at Zuby Music. That is Z-U-B-Y Music. And you can check out my podcast and my music on all the main digital platforms. Awesome. Well, Zuby, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope we can do this again before too long. Appreciate it. Thank you, Lauren. Take care. Thanks.